Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though. Let's dive right in. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shun Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Andre Zinkovich, co-founder of FullFunnel.io and all the way from Croatia about how he approaches ABM initiatives and how in some cases he and his team are able to execute on some of these campaigns with really tight budget, which is something that in a lot of cases are unheard of in the ABM world. On that note, let's dive in. Andre, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. Super excited to, <laughs> to discuss all ABM things with you. Same over here, man. I'm, I'm ready to nerd out on some, some ABM, uh, ABM material. So let's start with this. I, I'd love to I'd love to hear how you define ABM. What is, you know, what is your approach to ABM? How do you look at ABM? Yes, absolutely. So basically for me, I will explain it in my own words. Account-based marketing is a part. It's not a unique marketing strategy, but it's a part of marketing operations where you tailor your message and your entire prospecting and sales process to a list of specific accounts. And that said, it means that uh, you know all leads, all prospects were not created equal, which makes no sense to prospect these companies the same way. So we need to segment them somehow. And this is how appears the key principle of account-based marketing tier segmentation, where you have tier one accounts, basically companies that have the highest revenue potential, Tier two accounts, companies with the medium revenue potential, and tier three accounts, companies with the lowest revenue potential. And now the key principle of account-based marketing and what makes it different from other marketing operations is that instead of saying, hey, we are fullfunnel.io, we are a ABM, you know, consultant company, I can say, you know what? Uh fullfunnel.io helps companies like XCROS, you know, to find and hire ABM talents, something that is highly relevant to you, you know, to, to, to your needs. But how do I come and uh, how do I get this idea? It requires the account research, with, which is another principle. So that's, th- that's the key point. So account-based marketing is focusing on needs of specific companies and finding the gap between your offer and their need. And uh, instead of prospecting and focusing on the wider or broader audience. Got it. I love it. I love it. Now, what do you think are some of the elements that are really important to success of an ABM campaign, right? What What are some of the things that you've seen that if it's, if you get wrong, an ABM campaign is really not going to work or you, you, you're not going to get the results that, that one is looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So let's discuss some key principles or some fundamentals that should be in place. And then we can quickly discuss the most common mistakes. So first of all, it's uh, an ideal customer profile. If you don't have a clear criteria for ideal customer profile, your ABM campaign won't work. It will be a waste of time. Doesn't matter if you have 
the most, you know, the most modern uh, Martech stack or whatever. So it won't help or the biggest budget on the market. So the key idea, you know, I see this, uh, this is a fundamental mistake. Quite often when I ask, you know, mid-size or even enterprise teams, you know, can you describe me ideal customer profile? Quite often I hear, you know, so we are prospecting tech companies from North America, for example, sizes like above 200 employees, and that's it. But let's be honest, that's a huge market. It's like dozens of thousands of companies. And my question is, how do you know any of these companies will have a need? Or let's say if I just select a random company and say, is that a good fit? And they say, no, just because, you know, because of this and that. And this is what is ICP. It's all about qualification and disqualification criteria. So you must be very clear what is inside. How, what are the features of companies that say that these companies will never buy from you? So you don't need to waste time on these companies. What are the features that say or characteristics that say or that show that this company is likely to have a call with your sales team. And in some cases, this is what, you know, lots of companies just focus on standard data like thermographic or geography, etc., cetera, uh, vertical data. But there are a bunch of things which I used to call the non-standard criteria. Uh, let's say we, have, we were working, you know, with a software development company, which is a commodity market. It's a high ticket service, but it's a commodity market because everybody in the world is doing software development. So yeah. in this case, we were uh, we were focusing on a narrow, very specific narrow vertical, and uh, we identified that market has, let's say, a high chances to to buy their let's say expertise. And one of these non-standard criteria were uh, uh, the keyword SDK in uh, LinkedIn account, in LinkedIn profile description. So we were looking for people who use, you know, who use in their, let's say about section on LinkedIn, that keyword that this person was dealing with mobile SDK, which is like a very specific technology, you know? And so that, that was a key point for us because if this person had uh, usually, you know, in the companies, if a person is not in charge of mobile SDK, usually they ignore or deprioritize this, let's say product development. But in uh, if, if this person is in charge of it, there is like a high chance to, you know, that he or she will be interested in, in conversation. And another uh, benefit that's, uh, you know, because of their, let's say, um, because of their niche experience, they could easily check or do a, let's say, surface audit of mobile SDKs of their target accounts, and they could figure out what is missed. So the offer, you know, in outreach was really simple. It was, you know, this is, uh, you know, exactly that this person is in charge of this part of product development, and this is what is missed. And because probably of lack of resources or whatever, you know, they don't have time to build it, and they just simply come out with the solution. This is what exactly, this is what is missed in your product. This is what we can do. This is how, you know, some of our case studies, this is the expected budget. This is the timeline, the team let's say team team size and th that's the approximate budget more or less 
So you see, that's that that's the key point in ideal customer profile. Quite often it's missed, and as well with uh, uh, disqualification criteria. In our case, uh, just to give you a practical insight, so for the same company, the disqualification there were two, let's say two, two crucial disqualification criteria. The first one, if somebody from the executive team from these target accounts had a degree in Soviet Union. And the key reason for this, because usually these people- That development team there. In post, yeah, in post, uh, let's say post-Soviet countries, and they know the rates. So they can always hire, you know, a developer or software development company for lower rates. That was the first one. And the second one, which we uh, were able to discover only after running a bunch of customer interviews, that if the person is in the first year in the company, they don't have this decision making, even if they are decision makers, but they don't have this authority. So they usually don't, you know, involve, let's say, external help in the first year on this, let's say, in the company or on this job role. So that was another disqualification criteria. Quite often, you know, when I'm discussing this with marketing and sales teams, I never hear this. I just hear a list of formographic, you know, criteria and that's it. So this is one of the most fundamental uh, mistakes and basically one of the most, uh, let's say, important principles. Because if you are not clear here, if you don't have a clear list of these criteria, then your account list will be, you know, will be wrong. So you'll be just prospecting the companies. Uh, it, it will be, you know, just you'll be playing the game of numbers or the game of probability, if you will. You know, you don't know if there are any chances. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, you know, in our, I'll tell you what, in our agency, if we are, if somebody reaches out to us and we jump on a call and we're like, hey, so who's your customer? And it happens, you know, it happens more often than, than you would like it to. And then they go and say, oh, you know, we can sell to anyone. Uh, and that's like, that is a red flag for me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have, we have so much education to do over here. I'm not even sure if I want to go down that route of, uh, of educating the team that you cannot do marketing with when you say we target to everyone. Usually, you know, it's usually service-based organizations because they kind of can sell to everyone. Not that they should, but they can because it's service-based. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, uh, and you're, you're right. I mean, I think about some of the, uh, some of the clients that we've had, we, we, you know, we had a client that we had to find, we were looking at the healthcare vertical and healthcare vertical that healthcare organization had to have a sales team and that sales team had to do outbound sales. And this, the outbound sales team should had to be larger than 50 people, right? So it's just like you drill that down and you become very granular in terms of who you're targeting. So, and, and it, it defines the success of the campaign. I, I, I think that's a solid point. What else, what else do you think is important for, uh, for a successful uh, ABN campaign? So the next point, uh, I don't want, you know, I don't want to talk of, uh, in this case about, let's say, the go-to-market strategy and the most important elements like positioning, you know, vertical unique value proposition, etc. Let's say this is something that is expected by default. Uh, if you don't have this at place, and as you mentioned, if it's something like 
if a company is product obsessed, you know, saying, hey, we have the most, you know, the, the best product on the market, we can just, you know, prospect anybody, then definitely <laughs> this Save campaign. Me. Save me from here. <laughs> this campaign is doomed beforehand. So avoiding this, let's say, fundamentals, let's expect these things by default. So aside from ICP, uh, the next thing is marketing and sales alignment, because if you don't discuss, you know, with sales, the ICP criteria, and again, you don't agree on tier segmentation, on account list building, then again, you'll waste time. And when it comes to market, uh, marketing and sales alignment, another crucial thing here is the agreement on warm-up programs and activation programs because ABM usually consists of two parts. And there is a transfer between marketing and sales. And the key point is when this transfer or leads hands-off should happen. And, you know, quite often I hear that, well, you know, uh, we transfer, we do the leads hands-off when, you know, somebody just downloads our gated ebook or somebody just attends some of our webinars. But it's not just, you know, it's it could be, you know, just one part of, let's say, account engagement. But that's not, <laughs> not all account engagement that you should track or measure. So that's the key point. You need to agree with sales when exactly the leads hands-off will happen. So it could be, you know, you can track multiple things like, and it, it shouldn't be, you know, you don't need to have a fancy, marketing stack, you can install something like lead feeder or happier leads to track website, you know, website visitors and see if somebody is from your target accounts is engaging with your product pages or offer pages or whatever, what type of content they consume. You can track LinkedIn engagement. If you are doing demand generation on LinkedIn, you can see what companies are consuming your content, what people, you know, are visiting your profiles or engaging with your content. So there are a bunch of things that we can measure and basically you need to agree on this threshold when the you know when the prospect will be transferred to the sales so that's another thing quite often i see uh, this as a this is a real challenge for especially in mid-size and enterprise companies marketing are focusing you know on completely different things they don't think about form up programs of specific accounts but basically they want to hit their mql quota while sales I aligned with revenue, you know, and if you have this misalignment, it always leads to infamous marketing and sales war. So that's that's another thing. And so the last part, which is crucial, of course, here is that you need to you need to have a warm up program. Usually, you know, I start any workshop or any, let's say, kickoff meeting with clients with when we have marketing and sales teams. I ask a question. Do you agree that people buy from people they know, like, and trust? They say, yes, that's absolutely true. So in this case, I ask, so why before you just, you know, purchased and I don't know, an email outreach software, you just created this cadence and you just, you know, bombarded the entire market. What's the idea here? <laughs> so do you agree that we need somehow to aware the buying committee? Because that's the key point, you know, in a, in a complex B2B. Uh, the high is the ticket of your product or your service. The more inevitable is the in-house discussion. 
And the more people inside the buying committee will be aware about you, about your company, about your product, the higher are the chances that you'll be able to close that deal. So that's that's another key point I wanted to share. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to explore, you know, some of the examples of warmups that you've done. So can you share some of the some of the examples that you've done for, you know, like a pre-campaign warmup or or pre-campaign campaign that you've done for for warming up accounts? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, you know, we need to just uh, we need to separate evergreen abm process when you have it as a part of your marketing you know marketing operations when you do it every day it shouldn't be one of the most common misbeliefs is that you just you know you do it one time per quarter whatever you just you know collect a list of accounts and then you do some fancy warm-up running ads or whatever and then just do the outreach it's not true it's like an evergreen daily operation that company is doing and you can fulfill your list of accounts again every day by tracking the intent data but that's another story uh let's say if if you are going to launch a pilot project so what could be an approach you know to warm up target accounts several ideas and this is what you mentioned in the beginning how to do this you know programs on a RAM and budget so the first thing is that you can uh, and this is what i love i love the market research campaign as a warm-up the idea is that especially if you are prospecting a new market or a new vertical you don't have this disqualification criteria you don't have lots of use cases and you you don't really know if your message i mean if your marketed message is really good you know so you just you're just making some hypothesis so with the help of mark what is the goal of market research basically you make a list of target accounts and you reach out to contribute to a specific piece of content that is very niche related. So we have done it multiple spaces. Let me give you a practical example. So a company which is selling uh, production line automation, don't want to dive into details, but basically they're targeting the biggest European, you know, manufacturers like Nestle, like Pepsi Cola, you know, etc. So these sort of things. So we were we were doing a market research asking how the demand, you know, changed and how they're dealing with fluctuations in demand in the COVID era. So this is something that we have done the last year, three months after the COVID started. Um, so the idea is that uh, the buying committee is really huge. It can be, you know, 15 to 20 people. And we needed to discover, we, we were not sure who are the decision makers. So we were reaching out to production managers and we were discussing, we were asking if you'd like to contribute to this market research. And the key point was, you know, to jump into call. And if uh, if they did, uh, if they said, we don't have time for a call, then we asked like, we can send your questions and you can just record a voice message you know, and send us back or just reply in a text. And the key point here is that when we ask questions, we focus on several things. I will just give you a broader category here. So the first thing is the challenge they have, basically how they are dealing with fluctuations in demand. You know, next one is the pain point. What are the worst cases of this, let's say, challenge? What they are facing right now? So do they have a problems, you know, are people fired in their companies or whatever? What what's what what's happening? What's the pain point here? You know, if if it 
if it if it exists at all. Then we ask what they are doing, you know, to solve this challenge right now. What did they try? What worked and what doesn't uh, and what didn't work? Sorry. And the next point is that we ask have something like a qualification question. Have they ever tried to automate specific, you know, specific things in their production line to deal with these demand fluctuations? And this is how we qualify if they, you know, what is their experience with automation, with software, etc. And then we ask if they have ever negotiated or tried uh, software. And we mention our company and several, you know, competitors that are well known in this space. And this is how we understand the what at least we have an idea what's happening inside. And then we ask questions, you know. We say thanks a lot for contributing to, to this market research. And we got we got lots of insights. Aside from this, we ask some questions that are not, of course, that won't be published in that market research, but we ask questions, you know, who is the decision maker? If, you know, you said, for example, you said that uh, you have uh, or you have tried this software, you know, this automation, uh, who was, uh, you know, who decided to, you know, to, to present this software to, or to introduce this software to, or this automation to the company? This is how we understand the decision maker inside the organization. We can ask some questions when, you know, when you are going to automate some uh, production processes, who usually discusses this, you know, and what usually, what usually you discuss. So this is how we collect these insights from specific target accounts. That said, not this, these production managers are our internal champions. That said, they are not active LinkedIn members, you know, that's why it's not that easy to reach them out. But, you know, lots, this is what I was uh, talking in the beginning about ICP, and I forgot to mention that the buying committee structure is really crucial here. You need to understand who is also involved, you know, into, let's say, decision-making process. And in our case, one of the lowest hanging fruits were, uh, was engaging with marketers or with PR managers, if that position existed in a company, because what we did, we said that we are working on this market research and who is the right person? We want to feature your company. And, you know, these big companies, they always seek for PR. So that's, and we help them to fulfill their KPI. So that was a key idea how we got meetings with some people, you know, from, from uh, let's say, from the production line. Um, Another idea here is that uh, another key point that I need to mention that before doing this outreach, it always makes sense to, first of all, at the first stage, involving your uh, existing customers, so your past customers, because then in your outreach, you can, first of all, you can share the draft of your market research, you can share some insights, and you can name some logos in outreach that these companies, in our case, it was, you know, it was way easier to persuade other production managers to, to contribute to the market research when we said that Nestle and Pepsi agreed to contribute, you know. Got it. What is the success rate they usually see with these? Like, you know, what 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 do you know? What percentage do do say? Yep, we're you know open to contributing. The, you know, it varies from market to market, but uh, let's say in this particular case, it was around twenty-seven up to thirty percent. You know, in our case, when we do it for full final.io, we have something around closer to eighty percent. 
But again, it's not comparable. You know, I'm reaching out. I am quite active on LinkedIn. Lots of people know me. So it's, it's, we can't compare, unfortunately, these things. But if you are doing this from scratch, so in this case, I think that, you know, again, that's just my benchmark. 20% is a good. Mm. And, and, and so, okay. So you, you get that market research component and, you know, how do you, you get that data, how do you feed that into the next step? Yeah, so the next step is, as I said, so we have what we are doing, just to give you an, a bigger picture on this specific campaign. So when we have, you know, after this first round of outreach, when we have some names, names we understand how many people will contribute to that research. We are reaching out to some industry associations, you know, to some niche resources like websites, portals, etc. We reach out to uh, journalists, you know, and suggest to contribute as well because that will give us a huge PR. But that's something that's that's uh, that's something that is an additional benefit to this ABM campaign. And for these companies that are contributing, that's as well. That's a good PR for them. So what we are doing next? We are analyzing all the answers, you know, we, and we just try to do another account research. To, so we get the idea. Next, we are, you know, we are just doing the account research and we are uh, seeking, you know, what are the, what is going in this company? You know, we try to look if, let's say, in, in this specific case, uh, we were prospecting enterprise companies. So we were looking at things if, you know, if the revenue is growing right now or decreasing, so what's happening? What are the strategic initiatives, press releases, you know, executive talks, interviews, whatever? Something that gives us better idea what are the key priorities at the moment for this specific company. So the next step is that when we were, you know, when we were, uh, when we are finished with this research, so we do just uh, 100% personalized outreach. So in this case, let's say if I if I were interviewing you, I would say something, you know, in my outreach, uh, I would wait. Of course, I will publish the market research. It doesn't matter if it would be a guest post, you know, or it would be presented on your blog. So the next step is that I'm reaching you out and I'm sending you the link. And I ask if it's possible, you know, if you can share it across the organization, ask the, and some days, I, uh, several days later, I can ask for the feedback, you know, what people are saying from the buying committee. And what we are doing next is that we usually follow up with uh, direct mail outreach. So I write down a one-page proposal, you know, saying, hey, Shaheen, thanks a lot for contributing to this market research. And basically, you said, you know, this and that in your company. And basically, we did this analysis, and uh, we have some really good case studies. If we are talking about Nestle, we can, uh, let's say, if we are talking about some food manufacturer, we can say that we have this case study with Nestle, who, you know, had the same issue, the same challenge. And basically, we help to automate these parts of process, just simply explaining the, the process. And I say, this is something that might be really valuable for you. We create a content hub. Usually we use, now we use Paperfly. Previously we used DocSend. And we add just a QR code saying, this is exactly where you can, you know, learn more. And of course, I usually personalize it by some hobbies, you know, saying, in my case, I, use, I always say that if you send me, you know, a Juventus t-shirt, I will always, even if I'm not interested, I will be on the call anyhow. <laughs> so that's just to give you an idea. 
so we are sending some personalized gifts and we are you know and we are saying that um if if you're up i can uh, let's have a call i will describe you the ideas how we did it for let's say for nestle and how it might work at your company so i will call you tomorrow let's say at this time and as that said so we write direct mail because you know when you send it via fedex or dhl in europe you have the tracking you know the you have the tracking number and you can uh, get the notification when the parcel was delivered. So you know exactly that the person received it. Next day, the most crucial part here is doing the follow-up and why QR code with DocSend, just to, to give you the technical aspects of the campaign. Because DocSend or any, you know, any similar sales enablement software, it gives you insights if person, you know, checked your content, what exactly they checked, you know, how much time they spent in the content hub. And the key point here is, of course, that in, uh, aside from the case study, you put some product presentation, some relevant, you know, testimonials, the, let's say, product adoption process, whatever, something that helps, you know, to educate your buyer. And the next day, you do the, the first thing is always a phone follow-up. And the key reason here is uh, during the phone follow-up, you know, you did uh, at the first step, you did the uh, account selection. This account passed the disqualification criteria. So you assume there is a need. Then you did a market research and basically person shared with you, you know, what's going on in this company. So you have some really good details and you know, there is definitely a need. And the phone follow-up gives you an opportunity to, even if they say, I'm not interested, because if you send the email and they reply, I'm not interested, you don't have that much, you know, space to get more insights or more feedback. And with phone, you know, you can ask, so basically, this is what I shared. Does it make sense for you? Would you like, you know, I will share the ideas how it might work at your company. And if person says something, you know, I'm not really interested, or this is not the right moment, you can say, okay, so I don't, I don't want to push you, you know, but we did the research. And basically, can you help me as a human, you know? What, what's wrong in my prospect and why it's not the right moment? Because this is what you shared for me. Or you said that you're not interested. Why? So you can get more insights for account disqualification, for better prospecting, for better account selection, and to refine your marketing message, you know? Aside from this, there are two more crucial questions. You can ask, like, you checked my proposal. Can you please share with me if there were at least something that is interested or is relevant to you? This is how we can define what is really our unique value proposition. And quite often, as we spoke with you, you know, quite often it could be, you know, completely different thing that we expect, you know, or that we present to the client. And then we ask questions, what was completely irrelevant to you? What makes no sense? And this is, again, you understand what should be excluded from your message. And this is how, you know, that's, that's why this is a pilot campaign and it should be done on a small list for a small list of accounts when you collect these insights you know how to refine a future campaign what should be improved you know how to improve your prospect and account list building again and you can scale it a little bit and that's that's an evergreen process so you just refine and reiterate the campaign so that's that's i just gave you the <laughs> practical let's say no that's i think there was a lot of insights there and and you know i i, I actually want to dig dig deeper but i i i think either we got to do another episode or we're going to do it on a, on another uh forum 
for us to be able to get dig through this. I think you you you've shed a lot of light and, and really interesting points from you know the warm up process that you talked about from disqualification and qualification process of how to kind of get in the door with the uh, with the market research and kind of use that use that resources and use that information to uh, to improve your chances of of success or at least improve your chances of getting further information and further data to enrich your uh, your qualification process. So I think that's this has been this has been fantastic. Now, before we wrap up, I have a couple of rapid questions I want to ask you before we uh, we finish it off, okay? So the first thing that I want to ask you is what is what is one resource? It could be a book, it could be a blog, it could be a podcast, a talk, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you work or live. For me personally, it's not ABM related, but it's 820 in sales and marketing by Perry Marshall. It's basically helped me to improve my own performance and to focus on things that, uh, first of all, have the compound interest and basically help me, you know, to get the better results. So that's eighty twenty. Is it called eighty twenty in sales? This is eighty twenty sales and marketing. 8020 sales and marketing. Okay. Number two, if you could give only one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Good question, but I think get a sales experience. And if you want, if you don't have a chance, you know, to do sales stuff, at least attend sales meetings, you know, attend sales calls and always chat with sales. What are their hurdles? You know, what are their challenges and how you can help? Because marketing should be revenue aligned revenue driven you know that's the key point and if you don't understand the sales challenges if you don't understand the sales process then you'll be always wearing pink glasses and don't you know see in the, re- the reality as it is i love it i love it question number three what are some of the in- who are some of the influencers you follow in the b2b space yeah chris walker from refine labs i love uh, his content and i like very much that uh, he is focusing on demand generation you know he talks a lot about this you don't need to agree with all but he sticks to his topic you know and he has a solid presence and uh, what's let's say outstands him from lots of other B2B marketing influencers that he is never talking about, hey, let's build a personal brand, you know, you just, and all this, you know, hype things lots of people are talking about. So he's sharing professional content and it's extremely good. Yeah, got it, got it. All right, and the last one, tell me what is what excites you about B2B today? The opportunities, to be honest, the opportunities because as you know, as we chatted with you before this call, unfortunately, B2B is not B2B marketing is not taught at schools, you know, and students are not learning it. And lots of companies, they have the product obsession coming to the market and saying, well, my product is the best on this market. I just need to reach out to everybody. And this gives a tremendous opportunity for smaller companies, for startups they that understand the full final strategy that come up with a narrow solution, focus on specific vertical, and they don't have huge budgets, but they beat, you know, these market leaders and they grow very quickly. That's that's what I love. Love it. Love it. Andrew, this has been a great chat. I really enjoyed it. I think the the audience will get a lot out of it as well. And because of that, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot for inviting me. I hope it was valuable. Absolute pleasure. Take care. Take care. Cheers.
Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. We're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.